Hello, and welcome to the Flix Forum podcast, where each episode we go back and we look at a Netflix original film in the order of release. Today, we have the 109th Netflix original, the 2018 comedic drama, The Land of Steady Habits. It's directed by Nicole Holfersener, and it stars Ben Mendelsohn, Eddie Falco, Thomas Mann, and Connie Britton. I'm Jesse, and I'm here with MJ. How are you? Yeah, not bad, mate. How are you? Good, good. It's nice, nice and sunny today, so that makes me happy. Well, we're coming into summer. Well, actually, we're coming into spring, let's be honest, in Melbourne. Um, but, you know, considering we haven't left our houses for about 10 weeks, it's, uh, we'll take anything we can get. And, and we're allowed to go outside for two hours this week, so that makes it even better instead of one. And curfews lifted from 8pm till 9pm, so watch out. Our, our lives are going to be changed after these massive changes. Uh, <laughs> two things I've really been looking forward to, and I just you know feel so much better about it. <laughs> uh, as long as we can get these numbers down, eh? We just got to get these numbers down and back to normal, hopefully. I reckon. Well, um, yeah, we, we start off our show with our fast flick, so where we give a little bit of a summary of what we're about to talk about this this film. So what have you got? Yeah, it's the land of steady habits about a man amidst a midlife crisis who decides to retire early, leave his wife, and we get tangled into the world of his family and other members of the town. Yeah, Good. I like that. That was, that was very nicely put. Uh, I've, I've gone similar, but not quite as nice. So I've gone uh, a, a man going through a midlife crisis, wants to improve himself as a person, but just can't seem to break the habit. I was like, Oh, you've used the title. title. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I always say when you define something, you should, you should never use the, the word in the definition, but I was like, this could work. Okay. Nah, that's fine with a title that is, you know, as wordy and, let's be honest, somewhat forgettable as this one. You kind of want to look back at it. So no, I like yours a lot. Good. Okay. So we jump into the part where we like to have a look at how it was put together or, or what was going on with the, the development of this one. What, what have you got for us? Yeah. So um, Land of Steady Habits is, so let, let's get back to 2014, August, 2014. Um, that's when it was first reported that Nicole Holoff Cena, uh, was going to write and direct what was an adaptation of the Ted Thompson novel of the same name, the land of steady habits with Fox. So Fox searchlight was on board back then in 2014. Uh, nothing really came to surface until January, 2017. And that's when we found out that Ben Mendelsohn, Edie Falco, Thomas Mann, uh, were all set to star in the film. And that's when it was revealed that it was going to be financed and distributed by Netflix. So obviously there was a bit of toing and froing in the back end between Fox and Netflix. And as it turned out, it became a Netflix original film um, by sort of January, 2017. And a couple of months later in March, they began filming um, in Tarrytown, which is in New York in, in obviously the USA. So the film itself actually had a world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival that was September 12, 2018. And then it was released exclusively to Netflix just two days later on, uh, on the 14th of September. So I think it's fair to say the Netflix factor is, is really strong in this one. Um, and I reckon this has got a lot to do with the fact that it wasn't a Fox Searchlight film at the end of the day because we know it's harder for studios to commit to these, these indie relationship films that have got these complicated characters and this is something that director Nicole Holofcener does as well as anybody. But I mean, even she understands the likelihood of these movies actually succeeding or even being made in the first place. 
um, is all about the cast that they can actually bring in. And in this situation, Netflix basically let her cast anyone that she wanted to and, and do it all that way, which is, you know, the shining light of what Netflix has given filmmakers, whether it's right or wrong. I think I want to have this conversation with you and why not do it now. We've done 100 and this is the 109th film we've done. Every time we, we sort of delve into what a director says about or even a producer working with Netflix, was it was great. They gave me free reign. I could do whatever I want. Um, Final Cut was mine. All this kind of stuff that's really appealing for filmmakers. But out of those 109 films, there's not many that you sit there and go, that was, that was a truly, truly great film. And makes you wonder, maybe all the people at studios who are touching projects and finessing and changing, maybe it actually works. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think that I need. I think it needs you to rephrase the question for me, so I fully get it. Are you asking to? Are we saying that these films are specifically Netflix originals because they possibly don't work anywhere but Netflix? Is that where you're going? No, I'm not actually. And and I want to preface that this is yeah. actually you know independent to this film. Yeah. But I'm saying that we we know that filmmakers like working with Netflix because mm-hmm. they have all the say. Whereas if you work with a studio, you might send them a few scenes and the studio will come back and say, okay, this is cool. We've got to change this, this, and this. Now, I, I don't think, you know, out of the 109 films we've done, there's not many that really, I mean, we've probably seen 20, 20 good films out of 109. And the rest, there's a lot of other good films, but maybe people who are going to be in the back at a studio looking at every single scene and, and, and picking problems with it and fixing it maybe that's what makes a film a little bit better we have we have a lot of these films that sort of they're all right but they don't get to that next level and i wonder if that's what it's missing which is netflix's yeah. biggest appeal or versus maybe that's why it's not as good right. yeah sorry i completely get that now so yeah I, <laughs> I think that's a really good point that you make because uh yeah without that interference or without that you know student, but i mean you can also argue the opposite as well because sometimes if you do have that big studio control you're going to have the so many people putting that's not necessarily one person you're going to have you know sponsors or or uh, product placement you know businesses putting in their, their their two cents as well so i think that's a really good thing that you bring up because yeah there, there are some films definitely that we've, we've covered in these 109 that probably could have done with a little bit of a, a rewrite or a little bit of a cleanup mm. or a little bit of a um a little bit of a yeah a tidy in many ways because so obviously when, when you've got a project that so you're so passionate about and you've worked on for so long, it's really hard to let go of things that you've, mm. you've had in the back of your mind for so long, especially if there's no person above you saying, oh, maybe tidy this or maybe fix that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, yep. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I agree. <laughs> but you know, on, on Netflix's defense, they're probably not getting these films if they don't give that autonomy to the director. They're not getting these, these you know, pretty good name directors coming in and making films for them if they say you can make this film, but we need X, Y, Z. And that's half the reason they got the Irishman, right? Uh, Scorsese's like, I need this budget. And every other studio is like, well, you're not getting that budget. Netflix is like, we'll give you all the money that you want. You do whatever you want, make it four hours. I, mean, I don't care. And then, and that's how they get it. So it goes both ways, but you know, I'm just starting to think, you know, recently it's nice to hear everyone saying that they love working with Netflix, but maybe the people at studios who do, do interfere with your films actually have some pretty good input. Not always, but maybe they do. That, that Irishman example is probably a good one because I really enjoyed that film, but that could have done with a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a tightening of the strings. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I think you're onto something here. You, we could, you could, we could write an essay. We could write some essays and, um, and we get these out there for people to read and, and contemplate our thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I've just, yeah, we've seen enough. I've been sort of thinking like maybe I, I am versed to make an opinion, but I've gone completely off track from the land of steady habits. So is there anything else that you've, you've sort of discovered about this film? Oh, good segue. Um, 
the I, I looked up the titles again just to have a little bit of a because this title I guess this title in particular we haven't really mentioned like what it what it actually means I guess um mm, and yep. I think that's probably a, a good so we're probably going to go into spoiler territory early on so we'll, we'll put that out there now cool. if you wanted to wanted to watch this um pause come back later but so it's it's this saying across Connecticut in America that um it's derived from the state's pattern of always electing the same people to office. So that's where this, this term ah. originally comes from. So it's about this idea of these steady habits that people don't change. There's, there's, there's no change. Yep. It's always movement, you know, the same in society, people, the, the rich people are going to keep living their rich lives. The poor people are never going to mm. be able to change or, you know, um, people dependent on substances and, and things mm. like that. They're stuck in this rut. So that's what this, this idea of, of the land of steady habits comes from. So I thought, and like you mentioned before, it was made in, in and around New York, but this is a, a very Connecticut um, idea. Um, and mm. I went into a little bit, looked into it a bit. It's, it's quite, it's quite a, um, a famous sort of saying across America right. um, in particular to the, to the politics. So I guess leading into that, I was like, so how does this title translate into, and I obviously didn't know this before I watched the film. So I probably would have, um, yeah. And in reflection, I'll talk about it later on, but there's lots that I pick up on looking on it afterwards rather than when I was watching it. I think that's probably an issue with the title. If that you've got an outside audience that oh, yeah. sitting back and looking at this, you're not going to pick up on, um, on this. If you don't have any idea or context behind what the, what the title is giving you. Um, I continuously yeah. <laughs> forgot what the title was. Like mm. I, even when you said what we were going to watch and even when I went to watch it, I had to check and double check what it was called. Even after I'd finished the film, I was like, "What film did I watch?" I, I, I just I, this this title does not stick in my head, and I and I'm actually really glad you brought the context to to what that phrase means because um, a it makes a lot of sense, b it makes a lot of sense for this film now that I know mm. it. Um, but the c is it meant nothing to me. Mm. So so then so I I didn't look it up until I'd already looked at these translations because I'm mm. looking at these translations. I'm going, "Hang on," so oh, okay. I, I looked into it. So so for example, in Brazil, it's called "Good People," which I can get, I can understand that it's, you look at Portugal and Spain and it's called the land of good customs and that, that sort of, you know, flows as well. It's quite literal. Got, yeah. Yeah. Well, Italy's even more literal in Italian. It's Anders Hill's second life. So that, that's a, a lot more <laughs> character specific in Japanese. It's called goodbye to Connecticut. And that was what made me go and look it up because I was like, what the hell has this got to do with Connecticut? So that was why I went yeah. and checked out what it was. So obviously that's a, a different sort of way of looking at it. Um, Poland, it's polite sinner. And, okay. and in the last one is Taiwan and it's called runaway. And that they all fit in, in, in different ways, don't yeah. they? Cause if you, if you think about each of them and, and if you've seen the film, like you, yeah, the, the, each of them have their own little takes on what this story is about. So mm. that was one of my favorite little um, t- takeaways of, of checking things out for this one. Brilliant. And they're also yeah. different. That's, that's mm. never really happened. We normally get like a word change or something that, that just yeah. fits in with that culture. But that was, that was interesting. Um, the last one is um, Anders' name. And in Dutch, it translates to different. So I think that's just uh, a, another another nice little key um, about this story or, that we're probably going to lead into as we start to discuss it a little bit as well. Nice. Uh, consensus time, I guess. What, what were you able to see with the, the consensus on this one? I think this is pretty good. I think, I, I think you'd say it's above par without, you know, blowing anyone's socks off. It's a 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb, just a tick under 6,000 ratings. And it's a 2.9 out of 5 on Letterboxd, just over 5,000 ratings. So 
enough people have seen it to, to get an idea of what sort of consensus we're looking at. And it's, you know, if we're looking at like a three-star kind of film, then that's, I think that's a win for, for something like this. Uh, people are going to love it. People are going to hate it. But uh, when it fits like that, I think Netflix would be happy. The, the Google users, this was on the lower side at 76%, usually okay. extremely high. Um, <clears throat> Rotten Tomatoes was a little bit higher than everything else that we've got here for critics anyway, uh, sitting okay. on 83% on 40 reviews. Wow. So it's certified wow. fresh. So it's got enough to, to be fresh. Um, however, audiences on the other side had it at 48%. Um, mm. so that's um, just over 300, but still it's a, um, yeah, it's, it's on the lower end from the audience's point of view. I get it. Difference. This is an acquired taste. Definitely. Um, yeah. And I've done, yeah. Good. All right. So um, we'll, this is the time <laughs> to talk about some early thoughts, I guess. So what are your, what are your early thoughts for that? But this, this movie is right up my alley. Um, and I could sort of tell from about five or 10 minutes in that it was. Um, despite I, I did like bits and pieces of it. I, I certainly expect a little bit more from it. Um, I felt like it lacked any sort of subtlety and, and it felt a little bit disjointed and I thought the tone shifted a lot. I think the, the story felt like it pivoted around what was important and significant and, and I suppose that really highlights the whole complication of family and what's important at any given time can, can pale into insignificance at other times. Um, with that said though, there's still some pertinent moments. There's some really nice pieces of dialogue that resonated with me. Um, I just felt like every time this movie started to settle into a groove, it shifted again. But I, I liked I liked some of the ideas I explored, and I, I certainly it's it's certainly a movie that I liked. Um, I just kind of wanted a bit more. Yeah, I, I can. Yeah, I, I agree with um, what you're saying because I I sat back and I enjoyed this and I liked it. And then going back even further, I was like, I think I like this even more. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this chat because I thought that the performances in, I thought Ben Mendelsohn was um was pretty good. It was a really good performance mm. from him. The supporting cast were were generally pretty pretty good as well. Um, and I thought the script was quite clever and and it packs a bit of a punch and left a bit on me that for further reflection that I probably wouldn't mind a rewatch of this um, at some stage. I tend to agree. Hmm. All right. Well, let's talk about some characters. There's there's a few in this one that we could sort of spend a bit mm. of time on, but. I'm guessing start us off with Anders, the, the main guy. Yeah. And I think actually talking about characters and just the way I'm going to be approaching this, I think I'm going to be putting characters into little buckets together without even knowing I'm doing it. So it's not, might not be necessarily talking about one character or another, but anyway, that's, Anders, you're right. Easy one to talk through. Like from, from the outside, he's literally just a guy who's going through a really complicated period of his life. Right. He's, he's actually got that presence of mind to separate himself from the things in his life that are debilitating to him. But that doesn't exactly mean he's got all the answers. It's a really brave step, but that doesn't mean you've done all the hard work. So he's in this rut, but he's learning and he's changing all the time. And that idea of following someone who's in this midlife crisis, who's already made that big decision, right? He's leaving his career. He's leaving his wife and they're great calls for his mental health, but, it doesn't mean that the work is done and the balance of getting that mental health is more than just one or two big moves. It's that realization of a path that works for you and you need to continue to evolve with that every single day. And I think it's in great comparison to both Preston and Charlie um, who have these big decisions that are basically made for them, you know, go to rehab, work a particular job. 
Um, but that's not the big move that's going to make them change. It, it's that learning and that realization, that desire to want to change that you need to find to actually get yourself out of this rut. And I think we slowly see Anders make that. And, and I like the way that he is compared to almost every other character in this film doing that. But again, it's, it's on reflection that you really notice it. Mm, I, yeah. I, it's a really nice way of looking at it. Cause I hadn't necessarily, you know, contemplated those ideas cause I, I, yeah, I, I took him in maybe a little bit differently again, which is great, which is good to see a character mm. that can have so many different sort of ways that you can sort of reach in and, and, and grab onto what they're sort of showing. So like you've mentioned this, this midlife, midlife crisis with him, I, there's this line that he said that I really, really latched onto, which was um, my life's a mess and I can't fuck. And I just thought that they, that this, <laughs> this was this perfect summer of this guy that like you mentioned, made all these decisions, like leaving, leaving his job and, thinking of it in this way about them being sort of morally corrupt, the, the, the work that he was in. So it's sort of showing you that he's trying to improve and he's trying to change mm. the way he is as a person. But in that same way, he's, he's constantly still making the wrong choice. And I thought that was a really mm. interesting um, sort of way throughout the film where, you know, there's just these little things about, you know, still paying this mortgage they can't afford and you know, telling his son that he needs to grow up, just these choices. And even like, like just talking through situations that have occurred that he doesn't really think about, what his actions are going to um, lead mm. to or, or what he says is going to, how it's going to impact someone. So I thought that um, he, he was such an interesting character that it, you didn't know what, where he was. I didn't feel like I could work out where he was coming from. And, and the part of that, that, that really got to me was this, the, the, the no family, the, the, the lack of relationship with his son Preston. I thought that um, that was something that I really grabbed onto that he was able to have this relationship with Charlie and, and not really his son and, and it was like, he was constantly trying to reflect to work out what was going on. And I really like this, him continually watching these home videos and, and trying to work yeah. out, you know, why was it okay before? And what is it now that that's changed or what, what am I doing wrong? Like, how do I fix this? And I liked that he seemed to be, he was this character that wanted to change. He wanted to continue to grow. And yeah, absolutely. I, I, I like this vision of these, the, you know, these empty shelves and trying to fill these shelves and not just necessarily just these physical objects on these shelves, but trying to fill the, these shelves back with his life, trying to put things back into place with how they're supposed to be. So I thought, yeah, really, um, really complex character. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of layers to it, isn't it? Actually, I'm glad that you mentioned Preston as well because I think it does feed in nicely to talk about him. And uh, for me with Preston, it took me a while to get a gauge of the importance of his story because initially he felt to me like he was a part of Anders' story. And, and I mean this because at the end of the day, this becomes a story of two families who could be very, very similar, if not for a couple of really small differences that have enormous ramifications and Preston is on this really similar path as Charlie right and it's probably only after he sees Charlie down by the train tracks that his own path basically changes and and while I'm on this tangent you you've got these parents you've got Sophia Mitchell who clearly aren't happy whether that be with each other or in general but they do nothing about it and you've got Anders and Helene who have actually made this decision to make these changes because they are in that same rut. And, you know, the idea of divorce or even separated families aren't a bad thing if you commit to that discovery process and continue to change for the good. And that influence that Preston's parents had on him was probably far greater than what Charlie's parents had on him um, looking at those things. And I think it's, it's, again, following that notion of always moving and always discovering as opposed to 
this is what we've done for a long time, so let's just keep doing it. Oh, it doesn't feel right, yeah, but you know what? Changing is too much hard, too too much hard work than actually doing something about it. So it, it's really interesting because on the surface, these families are exactly the same. There's a few small changes, and as a result, you got a kid who takes, or not, maybe not deliberately takes his own life, but a, a, you know, a kid who overdoses and you know he's no longer around because maybe a few things just didn't fit the right way. I think you've put that really well because yeah, it's like the, that reflection of the the parenthood of the the families where um, Helene and um, and Anders even and this leads into one of the scenes that I really like. But even though they've got these differences and they're, they're separated, they can still work together to to try and assist Preston and, and work as a team. Whereas you know the the main um, emphasis with um, with Charlie's parents is that they just don't get him. Like they don't, they don't take that time mm. to, and I really liked, and that's an, there's more scenes that I'll talk about that I like this, but you know, the, that line that um, Charlie says to Anders is that he has respect for him because he's got the balls to, you know, take on his life, do what he wants to do. Whereas his parents are more just like, no, no, I'm not even going to listen to you. I'm not going to hear what, yeah. what you're feeling, how, how you're doing. So it's these, these different ways of parenting that, 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 you know, help with these changes, I guess, of these kids or, or inability to change. I get. I I mentioned um, Helene. It's Hel- is it Helene? 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 Yeah, I, I I think it's Helene, but I could be wrong. Yeah, the I, I thought it was interesting that the whole time, you almost they tried to make you feel like that she's been hardly done by because Anders was this guy that that wanted the the split, you know that they were getting in his way um, of his happiness almost, and I thought it was um, interesting that right near the end they dropped this little bombshell or this this bombshell that you know she was unfaithful prior to this this breakdown but at the same time you, you you're reflecting and thinking yourself that that possibly could have been a bit of anders's fault anyway that that had led into this situation so i just thought that um you know there's just these lines throughout that you know she she misses the sex with him and um you know she's mm. hurt it, it was just a really really different sort of way of having a character that it wasn't this black and white situation that they just have this one way, the whole way that there are these little drops and hints throughout that, that sort of mixed up the, the feelings for a bit. And I, I, I didn't mind that. I think that's good as well because it's, it's not black and white, you know, you don't have that kind of relationship and it's black and white. It's not like we break up and everything you do is bad and everything I do is good. And I kind of got a hint at the start at that party where he says something to her, like, Oh, is this your guy? Are you saying, um, you know, how long have you been seeing him for? We've been broken up for three months. You've been in with him for longer. And I was like, she didn't say anything. And I was like, I reckon she's been with him longer. So it was nice to get that confirmation at the end because, you know, you, you I, I, to be honest, I didn't pity her as much as maybe I might have, but you, you get the feeling that they're both, they both have negatives out of this breakup, but they also both have really big positives that they don't end up like, or their names again, Sophia Mitchell. And they, they don't have that rut and they, and they can work with their son to get him through what's exactly a really similar situation as what Charlie was in. So, um, yeah, like you said, it's, I'm glad it's not black and white. Mm. Anyone else that you wanted to talk about? I just want to touch on Charlie a little bit more because what I liked, what was good about Charlie was he was, he was honest with himself. Whereas very few characters in this movie were Anders was, Anders was 100% honest with himself, made the big changes, also made the realisation that, like, I'm in a rut and I can't fuck or whatever. Like, he, he knows. He's honest. The problem with Charlie is he was also reckless and single-minded with that honesty. But the question which we saw, sort of touched on, how much support did he have from his parents? And you look at the care that Sophie showed Preston when he delivered that booze and 
uh, obviously gave him a sandwich and let him have a shower. And like that, that's how she wants to care for her own son. She's kind of blinded by this anger and I suppose embarrassment of him as a son to actually do it. And, and you sit there and firstly, the way they treat him isn't that different to what people might treat their own adult son in that situation who's had opportunity after opportunity. He keeps going back to drugs. Like, yeah, we'll send him to rehab against his, against his will. It's not terrible parenting, but that lack of connection that you know that there's this good person inside her to treat her son in a better way. But she's not doing it because there's, there's obviously other reasons not to. And if she hadn't known this was going to be the result, there's no way she would have treated him like that. And it just goes to show these tiny little changes that, can, that you can make that can have such a, such a big, big difference. So um, I, I, found that, I, I found Charlie a fascinating character in his relationships with all these different people. And I think um, that is what highlighted it the most for me. Mm, I, yeah, I've, I like that idea too that you mentioned, like that because of this, these choices that they've made that they can't see what Charlie saw in Anders either. Like, cause all they see in him in, in Anders is, is a disappointment. You know, he's a, he's a crappy parent and they can't see that, you know, even he might be a crappy parent at times, he's still a decent person that, that has these, this ability to connect with Charlie and, um, mm. you know, almost a little bit of someone that Charlie can look up to, um, at, in, you know, some stages of his life, that he's obviously going through an awful lot that he just needed someone there for him. Yeah. And someone who's as, similarly honest with himself and, and does what he wants to do in that sense. And the only other character I do want to talk about is Donnie, who is um, Helene's partner. Um, he, to me, he's actually a positive in this story. And I think he's a positive for that family in general, but despite being the other guy in a relationship, he provides the support guidance and stability that Helene needs, but he also allows Anders to move on because that's, we learn that's what they have to do, right? This, this couple's not going to work together. They need to, they need to separate. They need to move on. And he obviously, you know, he's there to sort of help with the financial woes. And I kind of like the, the guy is around to actually be a good guy and in, in a role in a film where he's not ordinarily going to be the good guy. They're like, well, no, life isn't just, as you said, I guess, black and white we can have this character who ordinarily is going to be look, look like a bit of a homewrecker, but it doesn't matter. It still works. It still fits because these guys do what they need and bang, there it is. And it works. So I kind of, again, I, I dug more into that once I'd finished watching the film and reflected on, it. I'm like, this Donnie guy actually provided a fair bit to all the characters around him in a positive way. And, you know, he did the right, like he went over to Anders' house to mm. apologize when it wasn't even his fault. He would just, yeah, he would, he just had this positivity, like you mentioned that they probably needed. Yeah. Um, all right. The we mentioned director um, Nicole Holfencer. I I think I say you say it a lot better than I do. Um, lot of <laughs> lot of TV, some impressive TV too. A couple of episodes here and there of Parks and Rec, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Six Feet Under, mm. uh, Gilmore Girls, Cold Feet. Like a good little. This is this is one of the directors that we've we've seen that's actually got a bit of a um, a bit of a, a career behind them, which is nice. Um, sixth feature as well. Sixth nature. Yeah. So yeah, no, she's certainly, um, she's certainly got a place in, uh, in the cinematic world at the moment, as well as obviously the TV, but, um, yeah, from what I can gather, a lot of her movies are of similar vein and very much that, you know, indie kind of art housey, really character different sort of stuff. Um, and you can see why. And yeah, from what I can gather too, this is the first one with a male protagonist. The, the previous ones have all been, um, female. So, um, yeah, interesting. I think that's more because it was adapted from a text and she liked the text. 
and thought she could work with the text uh, more so than I want to really delve into yeah. male texts. All right, time to look at some scenes. What are some things that stood out in this one for you? Yeah, uh, the first that that got me was when um, when they found Preston at that underground poker game, and, and obviously they're all there. Outside of that, um, Anders and, and Helene kind of have a fight. I guess you'd call it a fight, but uh, I, we, we sort of, as an audience, start to understand Anders starting to see things as they are and, and the way that Helene says to, to him, you were supposed to be happy. You know, we were all in the way of your happiness. And you really understand where he's at and how he got there. And you kind of get it from a surface level of a guy who thinks, I'm not happy these are the things that are not making me happy. So I'm going to make a change. But again, it doesn't mean that he's got all the answers and just because he's done that, it's fine. So I found that a very interesting scene to, to understand Anders a little bit more and how he got there. Yeah. I, um, I, agree. I mentioned it before that that lead on to with them working together. That was just to me that I, I enjoyed that, even though they can't agree on anything else. It was just nice to see them mm-hmm. go in there and, you know, he even makes that comment, you know, you guys are a real team. Like it was just, yeah, I, it was a good follow on. Yeah, it's a good point. And I kind of touched on this scene before was when when um, when Donnie comes over to, to Anders' house. And I think I just more like the dialogue of this, but he, he speaks about, you know, one the bit of advice I can give you, it's all about communication. Like relationships and people are all about communication. And I like the fact that you sort of understand that why Anders and Charlie work is because they can properly communicate with each other. And... Um, it's kind of exactly as I explain it. They value this film values communication within relationships and making it work, as opposed to the scenes you see of Sophie when he delivers the booze and she's just sitting in her house by herself crying. You know, no one else knows that's happening, and um, I think it's a really important thing, and I think it comes out nicely in the film. Um, and and with the um, scenes with Charlie and Anders. I like the line that, that Anders kind of says, like, what a stupid fucking thing to be a parent. And it's, it's not to say that he hates being a parent. It's just that so many decisions that you make are the wrong decisions, whether you want them to be the wrong decisions or not, whether you think you're doing the right thing or not. You know, it's, it's almost like this doomed profession in a sense. And, and I think I like the reality of that because here he is talking to someone else's kid who no one else can seem to communicate with and he can communicate with him, but the stuff he's saying to his own kid isn't working. It's, it's complicated and yeah, what a stupid fucking thing to be a parent. I, I like it, even though it's not a choice. Um, and the last stuff I like is, is around the turtle more than anything else. I, I like mm-hmm. how Charlie left the turtle the first time when I saw that turtle sitting there. I was like, cool, I'm, I'm, I'm all right with this. Um, and I'm really glad that Anders took the turtle and, and sort of made the turtle his own. And in fact, I really liked the last scene Um it didn't feel overdone because he's obviously in this time between, you know, things kind of ending in the film and that final scene, he's, he's obviously turned things around a little bit. Um, and that final shot of him staring at the turtle, that kind of serious yet hopeful realization about what's important and not to waste what's important. And it was like a bit of a nod to Charlie. And that really worked for me because <laughs> stupid as this sounds, that turtle was someone who understood Charlie and not many people understood Charlie, but he had that connection with his own turtle and he lacked that basically with anyone else. And Anders kind of has that same disconnection with the entire town. Everyone doesn't understand Anders the way Anders is. And that's half the reason that connection with Charlie works and that turtle kind of reflects that. And I enjoyed that Anders had that peace of mind to sort of give a nod to that at the end. I think it was a really important part of the film. 
I've, yeah, I love the turtle too. I, I thought the, the, the first time you see that turtle, like you thought that possibly this is a hallucination or something. And I really liked that it paid <laughs> off that it wasn't that I just liked. And I like, enjoyed the, the follow through with that whole turtle idea, which, um, yeah, the, the, I'll talk about a little bit more about some ideas of this film, but yeah, I agree um, completely. All right, um, so I've got some other ones to add. So that I thought that opening scene with that in that Manchester store with those coloured towels, it just looked it looked awesome. Um, and <laughs> just that you, you've got these ideas of these questions like in Anders' head, like you know, what's the point of having so many things? You know, do I really need these towels? What's what's it for? You know, the, with that toothbrush holder. Uh, yeah. You know, it shows it starts off him as a conflicted character it shows you that he doesn't he doesn't know what he wants um and you can see this in from this you know visit to the store that he, he sees and you know his ability to just pick up women while he's shopping like it was, it was a very very interesting that was absurd to me it was, <laughs> i'm like who is this guy how's he doing this <laughs> head over to Kmart. um the <laughs> The, I liked that idea of that graphic novel as well that Charlie was working on because as this oh, yeah. idea of it was his way, his outlet of expressing how he was feeling. And if people just pay like, um, you know, Anders did like paid attention to the narrative of his story, they'd understand more about him because this was his way of expressing how he was feeling. And it sort of, um, you know, I think there was a line about um, being exploited by those that are meant to protect you. He was talking about his monkey on yeah. the spaceship and, and his mother just had no idea. Like how could a kid come up with such complex and, you know, <laughs> these type of thoughts about a character and, and a parent not have any inkling that this is him trying to say, I'm here, I'm reaching out um, and just ignoring that. So I thought that was cool. Um, not to mention the story that he ended up creating. And by the end of it, that's, that's a graphic novel I want to read. Like he, he even had a conclusion to it that worked a treat. I'm like, I want to see this. I want to see this happen. Yeah. Very, very cool. Um, I thought the the meeting between Anderson Barbara in that strip club was just, um, it was just such a random location to meet and that sharing the taxi and, and him automatically just giving that home address. I just thought that was nice. Though, it was just relatable. Even though I haven't had that experience, I was like, I understand that. I get that. I get where you're coming yeah. from. Um, the, the this is going back to the turtle a bit but when Charlie goes over to um to the house and Anders have it has it in the bathtub just the the dejection of um Charlie sort of sorry not Charlie Preston Preston, the, yeah. Preston going to the house seeing the um Charlie's turtle in the bathtub and just Preston's face seeing that his dad's done something with his other kid when he hasn't really done much with him and um, yeah, I just thought like that was, that was just a scene that the look on his face told a thousand stories. Like just, it was, it was, it made me feel sad. Um, yeah. And then the last part I enjoyed was seeing Preston starting on his own journey outside of this, this dynamic that the family that he's been living in and, and going through those same processes that his dad did with like filling that shelf and, and restarting yeah. and, and rebuilding what he needs to rebuild. So I thought that was a nice little um, image to end on his story. Yeah, that was great. There's lots of me. I'm glad you called them out as well. It's just, yeah, I think, I think you're right about watching this film again. Like I, I, on reflection, there was so much to this film that I didn't quite pick up while I was watching it. And it wasn't until I was kind of putting some notes on a piece of paper that I realized it. And even just hearing you say that, I'm like, yeah, that scene at the time might not have worked, but God, with everything I know, it does work. So you're, you're bang on. hundred Yeah. I, the, yeah, I, exactly. I think that's going to be my final thoughts. I can probably put it out there now. I reckon that's <laughs> um, was there anything that you didn't enjoy? Yeah, I, I, um, I kind of spoke about things I did like about this scene, uh, read the turtle, but I, I didn't like it when he went off to smoke drugs with Charlie. Um, 
I was, as I said, I liked that scene. I was really liking that scene. I really liked the dialogue. I liked the way that Charlie basically said, I love the fact that you don't take shit from anyone. I love it. You know, if you don't like my parents, why do you care what they think about you? All this kind of stuff. Um, I think he even said you had the balls to get out of it. And that's why they have this connection, right? Because Charlie looks at what Anders is doing and goes, mm, I get it. I get what you're doing. What my parents are doing, I don't get what they're doing. But then his decision to go and do drugs with the kid, and I'm not saying he has to be this paternal figure to the kid. It didn't even see, seem that on brand with him. Like I know he, he did those drugs at the start, which he, he basically admitted wasn't a good thing for him. For him to do it again, it didn't quite work with me. And again, I kind of didn't mind when that scene when they would do it and they were both kind of talking at each other. As I say talking at each other, they weren't were listening to each other. They were having two separate conversations about what's going on in their own head. But it just felt a little bit off brand for him to go and do that in the first place. Um, the whole story doesn't work if he doesn't do it. I get it, but <laughs> it just didn't work for me as well. Um, and the only other thing I didn't like, it's kind of these two scenes that, that tie into one. Firstly, when Preston delivers the booze to that guy that he that he knew back in high school, or whatever. I get what that they were basically trying to show Preston going into a bit of a spiral, um, and that whole scene of you know I would tip you, but you're a colossal dick. It just it felt like it came harsh and out of nowhere a little bit, and I guess the idea that Preston's hasn't might not have found what he wants to do, but at least he's not doing something that he doesn't want to do, like this guy was. And that kind of that spiral kind of led into him stealing the big bottle of champagne. Um, I, I guess that to me, there's a sense that maybe he's going to, you know, dip into suicide with the train track there, or maybe drink himself silly, whatever it was going to be. Um, I never quite felt that. All that combination never really worked for me. When he got the champagne out of the car, I was like, oh, you're kind of doing really well with this job. Like, don't don't stuff up. You you, you didn't have that big of a spiral. Um, and then it kind of works because he finds he finds Charlie and that's his epiphanous moment where he's at rock bottom. And I, I get it, but it just didn't, it didn't really click for me. I've got exactly the same scene. Um, okay. And I think it's exactly what you're saying. I, I, I feel like that the alcohol delivery to, um, to Sophie, they probably, and they could have left it at that and he could have, his car could have broken down out the front of her place or something. It was like, that is needed this other location for his car to break down. So he could get towed away to that location. So it was like just this setup of, of what was going to come. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know that we needed him to go to that Malcolm guy's place really, because mm. I feel like we could already see that, you know, things he's, he's, he'd already lost his job with his mom. He's been kicked out of home, all those sorts of things. I don't know if we needed to see him go in there and have that conversation. Like you mentioned. Um, oh, good. I was trying so hard to justify it. I'm glad nah, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I agree. I was like, ah, oh, okay. Nah, completely agree. It just like, it seemed a little bit random to me. Like I, it didn't, yeah. didn't fit well. Um, the only other thing that I didn't really like was the, uh, visits to that Howard psychologist dude. I think his name was Howard. Um, oh, yeah. I really, and it's in a lot of film TV. I really can't stand people in like these positions of power or responsibility who break the trust of the people <laughs> they're working with. So whether that's in films with, um, you know, religious people, whether that's in um, films with lawyers, psychologists and counselors, those type of situations ratted Anders out. And I really hated that. I just didn't, didn't, I just didn't like that. Um, yeah. Just, yeah. Anyway, that was, that was all. That's a good point though. Cause that's a really big thing, right? For, for a psychologist to divulge that kind of information to people who know the person, but they kind of just like brushed over. It's like, ah, yeah, the psychologist told you that's how, you know, whereas it should be like, hang, whoa, that's, that's a real red flag. Um, but it, yeah, yeah I guess, I, I'll and, give you that. But even like, even on reflection, I look at and I go, okay, it sort of ties back in with that title about 
the, the steady habits of this Connecticut, this community where you've got the upper class, you know, they have their cliques where everyone tells everyone everything sort of thing. So I get it, but I just didn't like it personally, I guess. Yep. No, that's fair. All right. Um, what are some ideas or themes or motifs in this one? Yeah, man, there's tons. And I'm going to say, I'm sure we probably haven't even picked it all up to be perfectly frank. And if we watch it again, we'll find more, but um, look, the things that I took out of the film in, in what was quite a personal way is that, you know, life is about change and, and searching and discovering and being motivated by things that matter to you. Not that someone tells you to do or what someone tells you to do, but be brave enough to make those hard decisions, but do them for the right reasons and, and do them because they matter to you. Um, and that all kind of ties in with family and the, and the complication of it, because just because you make these decisions, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's all, you know, fine and dandy. Well done, you left your job, but there's still work to do. Um, and then that whole idea comes with connection and communication. And, you know, we, we talk about how I've already spoken about how Charlie actually can communicate with Anders and it's a two way communication. He doesn't feel like his parents listen to him and he, he basically stops trying to communicate with them, but he still craves that. That's why he goes and seeks out Anders. Um, and then that ties into the whole idea of parenting and, and the, the lost feeling of parenting, you know, when you, your kids grow up and you feel like you need to parent them, but they're not there to parent anymore. And, and I guess the overarching feeling of the entire film is loneliness. Um, Anders is a terribly lonely character. I think a lot of that comes with uh, the highlighted by the fact that he can't have sex with anyone. That's, that's not a physical thing as much as it's a mental thing. And he, he's just terribly, terribly lonely and the whole town doesn't understand him. And all this is coming out of a film, you know, quite, quite organically. Mm, yeah. I've like at all, everything I've got links with exactly what you're saying, like that high, that idea of like communication and there's that analogy of that spider web too, with, you know, everyone's being replaceable mm. and, and life goes on, um, you know, you, nice struggle, you struggle without this stability times. And, and, you know, that, that same thing, like you mentioned with parenting and family, like, how do you know if your kids are broken? How, how can you work these, these questions out without that connection that you need or that communication that you need with the, the people that are working on that with you? And, this idea a little bit too um, about recovery and like we, you spoke about, you know, growth and, and mm. things like that. So this idea of needing to break dependency or breaking the title, you know, breaking the habits because there, there are people in this that are either dependent on alcohol, dependent on drugs, dependent on gambling, dependent on stealing, dependent on gossip, those types of things. And, and every character in this film has some type of um, thing that they need to recover from or something they need to move on from. Mm. And that's what I liked about this turtle <laughs> is um, <laughs> turtle is like this, this idea of you've got this little creature that is stable. It, it, it's persistent. It's steady. It walks at this slow pace. It like travel close to the earth. It's four feet on the ground. Everything that this in every character in this film is not, there is not one character in this film that is steady, I guess. And this turtle mm -hmm. is steady. And the two people that are closest to being steady that are Anders and Charlie, and they're the closest to that turtle. So you've got that idea that, um, yeah, that, that, that's what they're aiming for is you need this idea of stability in your life. It's funny that you talk about Anders and Charlie as the two characters who might be closest to being steady, whether, whether steady or whether it's at least discovering who they are and how they want to be. But they're also the two characters who are outed by the rest of the town. No one else understands these two characters. And, you know, they don't understand why Anders is doing what he's doing. They don't understand why Charlie's doing what he's doing. And here we are saying that maybe 
sitting in your rut and doing nothing is worse than what Charlie's doing. It's worse than what Anders is doing because at least they're trying to trying to exactly. chase a feeling that they think they've lost. Yep, they're, they're trying. That's the that's the key. I think is giving it a shot. Yeah, trying. Yep. <clears throat> All right. What did you take away from this one? Yeah. Well, I look. <laughs> even this conversation has helped me realize that this movie is a lot deeper on reflection than I felt on that surface level watching it. And um, I, I still think that it did lack a little bit of subtlety because, you know, everything it was trying to say, it did feel quite overt. And, and I do think the focus did, you know, shift around a little bit to suit the messaging of the film. Like we spoke about with that scene with Preston, um, which made it a little bit disjointed, but I do appreciate a lot what it was trying to say and those messages that we just spoke about. Um, I also didn't mind hanging out with these characters. They're all super flawed, massive issues, as we've spoken about, but they weren't a bad hang. So uh, that, that, that's, that's a tick in the right direction too. Um, so there's a, there's a, that's the sort of stuff I'll take out of it. Good, yeah. This, is, this sort of ties in a little bit with that ramble that we, we went on at the start where Netflix can get films right. And while it's nice at times to give new talent the ability to um, do what they want to do with films without any outside control mm. um, to do their own vision. Sometimes if you get an experienced team on board who have maybe had that, that those knocks from studios before <laughs> previously, you know, this is her sixth film. So obviously she, she has a little bit more experience of, of people reflecting on and changing her work a little bit. So maybe that's why this worked mm. a lot more for me because it makes a bit of a difference of having that past experience um, in this case. It's a good call. And I'm glad I, 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 I can't preface enough that the tangent that we went on at the start actually had nothing to do with this film. It just, it was another one where the director came out and said, Oh yeah, Netflix gave me free power. Like, and I didn't want to say that oh, this film sucked because of it. I've not, not that at all, but no. we used to think of that as a really good thing. And maybe it's not a great, not always a good thing. Correct. All right. IMDb time. Did you jump on to check anyone out? I actually did. And considering this was a pretty recognizable cast with, you know, Ben Mendelsohn, Connie Britton and Elizabeth Marvell. But um, I jumped on for, I jumped on twice, once for Thomas Mann, who plays Preston. So he was in Kong Skull Island, um, which I actually rewatched a couple of days later. <laughs> yeah, I know. And two weeks in a row. Cause I'm like, I keep seeing these people from Kong Skull Island. I'm going to have to watch it again. And I love it. It's a great film. Um, so he was in that. And one of those things that as soon as you see, you're like, ah, oh, that's right. The other one was um, Bill Camp, who plays Donnie. Um, so he's in a movie called Wildlife, 2018 film directed by Paul Dano, starring Kerry Mulligan, Jake Gyllenhaal. He's also in 12 Years a Slave and Joker, but I did remember him uh, from Wildlife, which I watched earlier this year. Um, and again, one of those things like, who's that face? Oh, that's who it is. Bang. Thank you, IMDb. Very nice. Wildlife was uh, the opening film at the Melbourne International Film Festival a couple of years ago. Um, oh, was it? Yeah, I had a very good night that night. Um, so oh, that was that night. Yeah, <laughs> that was, that was that night. If um, you listen to, I think there's, <laughs> there's a show called Plato's cave. Um, they're now called, I can't remember. They're a podcast. You can check them out, but they made mention about the the noise that was coming from the theater during wildlife. And I think I um, accounted for a bit of that in their, <laughs> when they mentioned that in their podcast. <laughs> uh, anyway, oh, um, so you should, you should do your rewatching wildlife. You don't remember it at all. Do you? I'll tell you what, my head spun through that movie. I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> um, all right. IMDb time. So, We've got um, me. I, I jumped on, and this is a bit of a tangent one, but I jumped on for, I was looking for Charlie. So Charlie was um, an interesting one because this is, this has come from a while back. We did a, a film called Calibre. Now, when yes. we, 
when we watched Caliber, when I was doing my research for it, it said this film's exactly the same as this other film, which was called Super Dark Times. And then after yep. we watched that, I watched that film as well. So the reason I picked up on Charlie yep. is because Charlie was in that Super Dark Times film. He was like the main character oh, in that. Um, so I went and I, I went back through Letterbox to check out what film I logged close to caliber to work yep. out what the film was again so um lots of research but i found it so i was very happy with that well done well done <laughs> good little good little treasure chest all right question time got anything you want to ask yeah and i don't think this is a clear answer and i kind of even don't even like it that much but i kind of do like it i'm not sure was this anders story or was this preston's story or or neither um ooh, I, oh. That's a tough one. Um, if we, we go on the mm. translation from Italy, it's definitely Anders' story. Um, Anders' <laughs> second life. But uh, I, I think it's probably both. I, f- I feel like this is the story of all the characters in this film, though. It's not necessarily... Exactly. I agree. Yep. Yeah. I think that's probably a better way of looking at it. Yeah. There's so much There's so much comparison. There's so much intertwined. You know, there's so many looks at relationships in general that it, it's difficult to pinpoint it. And that's where I got a little bit confused, I think, because I did focus it as Anders' story. And you know, his story becomes less and less important as the film goes on. Um, and he's almost like the one to look towards as uh, this is the guy that we should be like. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting thought anyway. Hmm, that's good. Um, is this a Christmas movie? So when this film started, I'm like... This is this is becoming a genuine Christmas movie. Maybe I'm going to put this in the Christmas catalog. But the Christmas themes are very uh, like I don't know. Does Christmas, Christmas obviously does it pass or like it just feels like Christmas was at the start and then it just never really came back. Oh no, because uh, it ended no, on Christmas Eve. Dinner. Yeah, that the Christmas yeah, the dinner, Eve dinner. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Well, you know what? <laughs> this is a hard because I'm generally happy to argue Christmas movies are if they are in Christmas or not Christmas. This. This felt like Christmas was very secondary. It just, I don't know. I don't know. Matt, what do you think? Uh, well, it's, it's about family. It's about parenting. It's about working out who your family is and where you stand in your family. And, um, you know, especially for, for, for Charlie and, um, you know, not, not necessarily, not Charlie, what's the other son's called? Preston. For Preston in particular, it's about working out where he stands in his family. And, you know, you see that nice hug between him and his dad at the end. If, who knows if, if it wasn't Christmas, would they be feeling this way? I don't know. <laughs> I don't mind it. Yeah, like, it's hard to argue. Like, it, look, my idea of Die Hard being a Christmas movie, like, of course there's a Christmas movie. Like, it's Christmas. Everything is, everything around is Christmassy. Um, but this yeah, he's got, he's didn't got have Christmas that decorations Christmas out on, feel, out but on his out the front of his house and i know yeah it's hard to argue i just kind of forgot about the whole christmas factor whilst watching it but yeah why not it's a christmas movie <laughs> oh good um other one i had was so I've, i'm pretty sure i know the answer but i just want to confirm that you possibly thought the same thing so we have the revelation at the dinner at the end that um helene's been uh, unfaithful prior to them breaking up mm-hmm. and we saw that um, Anders had, he was going to give the deed to the house over. So are you assuming that he never gave that deed over in the end because they sell the house at the end? Yeah, I am. Um, but I still like the idea that he was going to, that he, that he, cause it, again, it was, it was the right decision for him to make in that moment to rid himself of the financial stress, to make sure he doesn't go back into bad habits again. He was proud enough to go, you know what? Yeah, I'll do it. Now that decision might have been made 
might not necessarily be made out of spite at the end going, you know what, I'm not going to give you the deed to the house. It might have been a whole conversation between the three of them saying, you know what, one way we can get out of this is selling the house. Let's let's bury our demons. We've, we've, we've run our race with this house. Edie obviously had an issue moving on from it. But, um, yeah, I don't think they did in the end. But I like the idea that they were going to. I, I want to have this feeling too that they used that to help set up um, Preston in his new place as well. That that's how he was yeah. going to get this new place. Good, 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 good. All right. Well, um, I think is that time to wrap it up. No, no more questions. So. All right, let's do it. So we give a rating out of five for an overall average for our our show. What have you got for us? There was a bit of patchwork done, I think, on this story and plot, but the messaging and, and the meaning and the commentary around families and communication really did hit the spot for me. Uh, it was far from perfect, but there was enough there to invest in. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick, I'm gonna stick with my original three stars, but it's a very high three stars. Good, nice. Well, yeah, I, I enjoyed watching it, and even though it was like, it was a bit morbid, but in a positive way, if that sort of makes any sense, I guess, because mm. you had to continually watch Anders do the wrong thing or stuff up, even though you know that he wanted to do the right thing. So, and it's a weird sort of way of watching a character sort of develop in a, in a film. Um, and even after watching this one and, and putting together my ideas and thoughts, and I think I liked that even more. So I did have, mm. I was, I'm tossing up. I, I had it down for a three and a half, but I'm going to pump it up to a four. So, um, yeah. So I'm going to say right now, I'm changing mine to a three and a half as well. What I took out of this film uh, far outweighed the viewing experience. And I'm going to look back on that more fondly. And to me, this is the first time I've ever changed it live on air, Jesse. I am going to change it to a three and a half. Yeah. I'm I'm going to, yeah, I'll I'll go four as well because I think like if I go out of a film going, I'll watch that again because I took so much out of it. That's a, a pretty, pretty good thing. Yep. Good. All right. Well, um, we're on socials. We have Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and please mm-hmm. give us a follow if you can. A question for the week is, um, are we all replaceable? Ooh, that's a, that's a deep, deep one. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's obviously a gray, a gray area with not a clear answer, but I'd like to think that some of us aren't replaceable in some capacity. You can replace things on the surface, but you can't replace every single component that someone brings into your life. Exactly. That's exactly how I think um, Helene looks at, at how she's um, replaced Anders. Because I don't. I think deep down, mm. it, it's just a. It's just a replacement. It's not. Um, yeah. It's. It's not. Doesn't make up that true feelings that she still possibly has yeah. for Anders deep down there. Mm. And the sex as well. Not there. Yeah, exactly. No. Exactly. <laughs> it's not there for him either. So I would have liked to have seen um, how it goes. Yeah. Actually, and, and the Arbor at the end. That'd be a, a good sequel. All right. Well. <laughs> We are back again next week for the 2018 rom-com. It's called Napoli Ever After. Not happily, but Napoli, like taking it. Napoli. It's uh, directed by Haifa Almensau and it stars Sana Larthen, Ernie Hudson, Lurik Bent, Lynn Whitfield, Ricky Whittle and Camille Gustayo. So, yes, I never heard of it. So, looking, looking forward to it. Me neither. I could do it. We haven't had a rom-com for a while. We had a big rom-com period where it was just non-stop. Um, so let's let's jump back into it. Good. And um, yeah, thanks for, for listening to me rant a little bit about this one because I, I did enjoy it. 
Oh, right back at you. I reckon I said more words than you did, but it was um, one of those movies, and I know we say it a bit, but this is one of the movies that you really, really do enjoy talking about afterwards and reflecting on afterwards. I think even if I wasn't doing this podcast, this film wouldn't have been too far from my consciousness for the days following, which is a, which is a good sign. Yeah, nice, nicely put. All right, well, I'll see you next week. See you then.